0: Friends, if you have your Bible... Boy, there's so many passages we want to look at. Uh, let's check the time. Oh, good, good. The worship team was was moving right along today, and we didn't have uh, 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 too many people that uh, we had to share the prayer requests. Not that that's a negative thing. It's just the time thing. And uh, this morning, I want to get to the message. Uh, the message is built uh, as we've looked uh, the last couple weeks, and we'll continue to as we move through the late winter months into the Easter season. We've called it the Life Builder Series because as a reminder in first corinthians the apostle paul talking to the church that had been divided between picking their favorite teachers paul says each one of you are building a life we as leaders in the church we want to build up the church made up of the lives of god's people and paul reminded us that uh we have a foundation and that's Jesus we saw that 2 weeks ago and last week we built on the foundation of Jesus that he is not a capricious savior that he is he is uh, uh keeps us safe and secure we are eternally secure and having that assurance that blessed assurance we can now live our lives in freedom freedom from fear in sharing the love of god with those around us our theme verse coming from first corinthians chapter 3 verse 10 as you see on the screen paul wrote by the grace god has given me i laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it but each one should be careful how he builds for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid which is in jesus christ We want to begin this week and in the weeks after to build upon that foundation. And this morning's building block is important. We often take this subject for granted, and yet I see Christians at every point in their Christian walk and development struggling in this area. And it's often confusing to us. We don't know why our Christian life isn't what it should be. We don't seem to be living a life of victory over besetting sin. We don't seem to have the joy and the freedom in our life that we should. And a big part of it is the subject we're dealing with today. And that is, simply put, lordship. Who is Lord of our life? I call today's message, He is Lord. Reminds us of one of the wonderful hymns of the faith. He is Lord. He's risen from the dead and He is Lord. We sing that song. We use this phrase, Jesus and the Lord Jesus, and yet that word just seems to fade into insignificance. We use it so often, we're so familiar with it, that we take it for granted and we don't even think of the significance of what we are saying when we refer to Jesus, our foundation, our Savior, as our Lord. We even link the two, Jesus as my Savior and Lord, but the emphasis is heavy on Savior, and almost entirely forgotten is Lord. And we want to look at that today. As you look at the screen, you see not only the English words, he is Lord, but you see the Greek word for Lord. You can puzzle it out because Greek letters, many of them uh, are very similar to our, our, our letters that we use in English today. There is the word kurios, kurios kappa upsalam, and the thing that looks like a small p is actually the letter r that's the greek letter rho and then the o is a a short o it's omicron and it ends with the s the sigma kurios now kurios we want to talk briefly about the word used for lord in the new testament as jesus is referred to lord now lord is a concept that was that was very special to God's people, the Jews of Jesus' day. And it has its roots in Old Testament Scripture. Remember in the Old Testament, God's people were told all the way to the Ten Commandments that God's name as God is, is holy. Don't take God's name in vain. Treat it with utmost respect. And so in doing that and in keeping that commandment, God's people, they tended not to use his name at all. They didn't want to accidentally take God's name in vain or use it in a disrespectful manner. So they wouldn't use the name of God, especially the personal name that God revealed to Moses when he asked, who shall I say is sending me to God in the burning bush? And God says, tell them I am is sending you. And that is the personal name of God revealed to the people of Israel, Yahweh. And we're not even sure honestly that that's how it should have been pronounced because obviously Hebrew only had consonants and because God's people didn't use his name respecting it, we don't know how they pronounced it. What they did is replace Yahweh and even Elohim, referring generically to Him as God, they often replaced it with the word Lord, Adonai. Because that said who He was, what role He played in our lives. And I'm not going to get in the weeds, but it gets really confusing because over the years, people used the vowels from Adonai, and they stuck them in the name Yahweh, and they wound up with a word that never existed, Jehovah. And there's even a cultic group that says that's the only true name of God, though it is a a compound of two separate words altogether, Yahweh and Adonai. But God's people, the Jews, often refer to Him as Lord, as Adonai. So even in the New Testament, as many of them spoke different languages and Greek became the common language of the Roman Empire, the language of everyday commerce, especially in areas like where Jesus lived in the Galilee. They would call him Lord or use the word Lord to refer to God. They would still use the word Lord, kurios. Now here's something important. It wasn't just used in reference to God. God. It was more often used that way by the Jewish people, but in everyday life, whether you were Greek, Roman, or Jew, everybody used this word also in a general way, in a way that was common in everyday language. Here's an example. One of the ways that kurios was used in everyday language was as a sign of respect. You meet someone and you you want to show them, you respect them. What do we call them? We say how do you do sir? We use that word sir a sign of respect. And they would do that they would they would for instance say how do you do lord or curios as a sign of respect it was just an everyday common general usage. Now when you think about it it was similar to what we do with the word sir. What does sir mean? Well it means you're a knight You've been, you've been dubbed a knight by Queen Elizabeth. You're a CBE, a commander of the British Empire, like, uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier. You never, you no longer called him Lawrence Olivier. You just called him Sir Lawrence. And if Arnold comes in looking really dapper one day, for instance, in a suit, you know, he's dressed up. I say, how do you do, sir? Well, I'm not telling Arnold. Arnold, I kind of suspect that you're now a, uh, A CBE knight, when did you get to England and when did Queen Elizabeth knight you? No, I'm just using it in a common way. How do you do, sir? And people used Lord the same way. And it seems as you look at Scripture that early in early days, as Jesus' followers met with Him, they often used Lord in just common general usage. And over time that changed to how the Jewish people used it in regard to God. Not common in general, but specific and definitive, even divine, like Adonai, the God of the Old Testament, that type of Lord. We see that shift very strong, and then it happens completely following the resurrection. And we're going to walk through that. I wanted to get to Lord, because we'll see today, Lord And even in certain verses, it's used both ways. Keep your eyes open for that. Common general sign of respect, even a role a person plays, and then definitive divine use of Lord as well. First point I want to make as we look at Lordship, Jesus, the foundation in our lives, is that we are saved through faith in the Lord. And when we say the Lord as believers in Jesus, that's our reference to Him. And like I said, we use it so often that we take it for granted. We just say it's another name for Jesus when I call Him the Lord. It's like His first name, Lord Jesus. In His days, it was like Jesus of Nazareth. But as you look at Jesus' ministry, it's interesting His followers, His disciples, did not use His given name, Jesus. Rarely do they ever refer to Jesus by His name. He is Lord, or the Lord, when they're talking among themselves. Now that tells us they saw Him respectfully, because that term was often used as well for a teacher or rabbi that you were following as a learner, as a disciple. But now we see salvation comes not only from believing Jesus was raised from the dead, by his father, but that he is Lord, divine. Let's look quickly at a number of verses today. I apologize. I just, I couldn't get to the end of it. One led to another, and there's just so many important things to look at in God's word. It's a treasure house that you never can exhaust. First, I want to look quickly at John chapter 20. This is a familiar passage. We've looked at it before. Uh, Thomas wasn't there the first time Jesus' resurrection appearance to the disciples when he found them behind locked doors, fearful, afraid, and brokenhearted. And then he was alive and in their midst. They told Thomas the news and he says, you guys are crazy. Unless I stick my hand in that spear wound, that fatal wound in his side, unless I touch the nails marks in his hands, I'm not going to believe it. So Jesus appeared again and Thomas was there. And look what happens in John 20, verse 27, beginning there. It says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. In reaction to that, Thomas stops doubting and he believes. And what does he believe? Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. There it is. Lord as Adonai, the God of the Old Testament. Now, and from here on, Jesus' followers used Lord as a recognition that He is God Himself. He is God. And this is powerful to have people who normally it would be impossible at that time the only monotheistic group in the whole world to call a man God but they had no other way to do it because they see that this is the Son of God. Second person of the Trinity, something we still can't comprehend. We can't know the full reality that we have one God who we know in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now Thomas says, Jesus, you are Lord, not just my rabbi who I love, a man from Nazareth, kind of a crummy hometown to be from. You are my Lord and my God. His faith is in Jesus as God, the Son of God, risen from the grave. And that's the key. We don't believe, imagine, there were numerous people in Jesus' time risen from the dead, and Jesus was the one doing it. He raised little children who died on their sickbed back to life. He called his friend Lazarus, who'd been in the tomb for days, back to life. Resurrection doesn't make you the Savior in whom we put our faith. It's that the one who God raised up is the Lord, the Son of God, who is able to take the sins of all mankind on himself, having lived a perfect life, and his death now counts for us. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus the Messianic King, becomes the Lord to us. And we understand who He truly is as the divine Son of God who died for us. And this, friends, this was the clincher in Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. As he preached very likely on the steps of the temple to the people, he talked about who Jesus was and what He had done. And finally, he says in verse 36, wrapping up that powerful message, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now that would be anathema to the Jews, because to them, the Lord, the Adonai, is the God of heaven. And now Peter tells them the truth, that Jesus is not only the Messianic Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One, but He is the Lord. And that's in whom we put our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. And again, when you think of Lord that way, that we're believing on Jesus as the perfect Son of God, who paid for our sins. You look at many passages that we talk about from week to week regarding salvation. For instance, that foundational passage we looked at two weeks ago in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, what are you saying? I believe Jesus is God, that He's the Son of God. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the gospel truth. God Himself, the Son of God, died in your place and God raised Him from the dead. And you too can have eternal life through your faith in Him. So we are saved by faith in the Lord. Well, that's a step toward lordship, our practicing the lordship of Jesus in our Christian life. That's getting close to putting the building block in place, but we're not there yet there's two important parts of claiming jesus as your lord one is that we respect the authority of the lord if he's lord anyway common or specific using that title kurios meant authority authority the lord has authority authority Now, in the study, that wonderful study of the Gospel of Mark, we saw again and again in Jesus' earthly ministry that people were amazed that this itinerant preacher, they thought from the town of Nazareth, though we knew he was born in Bethlehem, and they didn't even respect Nazareth. How could you respect anyone? What good comes from Nazareth? This itinerant preacher from Nazareth, they were amazed both his hometown. Where did this man get such words? The people who heard him, everyone was amazed by his authority. Now authority, exousia, that Greek word means, remember, freedom. He has freedom as Lord with authority to do whatever he desires. He has the right to do what he wants because he has authority. He, as God, has the position to do what He wants. He has authority. When He has authority over someone or something, they are at His disposal. They are at His command. The Old Testament says God is the Lord of hosts. What's that mean? He has command over the angel armies. And if He's our Lord, that tells me, that we're getting there, that I am at His command. He also has If he has authority, he has authority over me as my Lord. Let's look at these dawning understanding of the Lordship of Jesus. That is, the intrinsic authority that we find in Jesus. There were a couple things early in his ministry, if you look at those early chapters of the Synoptic Gospels. Let's look, uh, we've talked about uh, Mark 2, but let's look at uh, Luke 4. It says that. Verse 31 in Luke 4. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. Jesus taught with authority, with power. They questioned, where does this guy from Nazareth get such authority? And Jesus demonstrated his authority was not just words, but it could be deeds. There was a man in the synagogue possessed by a demon and Jesus cast out the demon and then they had to expand their idea of Jesus' authority. Further down, verse 36, Luke 4, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching with authority and power? He gives orders to evil spirits and they come out and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. This teacher with authority also had authority over evil spirits. Spiritual power and authority as well. Well, I mentioned Mark 2. In Mark 2, we begin to see Jesus' actions demonstrate His authorities in different areas of life. In Mark chapter 2, remember we have the man who was lowered down by his friends and Jesus... They wanted Jesus to heal him. He was on a mat, and they lowered him through the ceiling. But Jesus doesn't move to heal him. He moves to forgive him. Whoa, 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 the teacher said, only God has authority to forgive. Now (laughs) now they're starting to get there. And Jesus says, your point being, he, as God, can forgive. He has the authority. And he puts the two together. His authority to heal and his authority to forgive by saying, in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. They praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. This man, a parent man, he can forgive sin and heal diseases. Who else but God could do that? Do you see how understanding Jesus' authority was growing them to understand that He was the Lord, using it divinely, all capitals, the Lord? John 17, Jesus said something powerful in the high priestly prayer that we see recorded in John 17. That prayer begins in the first two verses. After Jesus said this, He looked toward heaven and prayed... Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Jesus has authority, power over all people that he, as Savior, as God, and only he can give eternal life. As he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me. For he alone has that authority. And what can you do with authority? Friends, you can also, if you have authority, you can confer it on someone else. You can give them authorization to go in your name, in your power, in your position, representing you to carry out your desire, your wishes, your commands. And that is what Jesus does for us in the Great Commission. At the end of Matthew chapter 28, how does he give us the Great Commission? Look what he does. It says, The disciples gathered on the mountain that Jesus had told them about in Galilee, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He authorizes us under His authority to take the good news of salvation that the Lord died for us and has risen from the grave. And that through faith in Him, we too can have eternal life. We are authorized to do that. All authority, Jesus says. All authority means all power. There is no place, there is no one outside of Jesus' authority. You go there wherever, in heaven, on earth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So friends, you see what Lordship means? That in your life, you respect the authority of Jesus. He's your authority. His Word, the Bible, is your authority for living your life, for making your decisions. But why do Christians struggle? It's because we may say Lord, but we don't respect His authority. We say, well... I've got authority over my life. You know, like Jesus, when I'm in church, He is Lord. When I go home, turn on my television, I'm Lord. I got the control. It's like a man, I got the remote. I'm the Lord. Do you ever feel that way about your life? I got the remote. I choose the channel. I'm the Lord. As a follower of Jesus, they say, no, all authority is His and I am at His command. I'm His to point. One of the verses we left out, I I skipped over just for time's sake, was from the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says He was the Lord of the Sabbath. Many people claim that the Sabbath had authority over even Jesus, what He could and could not do. And Jesus says, no. The Sabbath, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It's at my disposal. And we use the Lord's day for Jesus' sake, to give Him glory, to rest and refresh and to worship together and have fellowship because He has authority. He's Lord. Two main points about lordship. Authority, I'm His. He's the Lord. I'm at His command. And the second... Is sovereignty, if He has authority, He's my King. The Lord means my King. He's mine. I belong to Him. A simple translation of kurios is master. Master. I like that. That was their most precious name for Jesus as they followed Him was master. And Master recognizes that He is sovereign over me. He's Master. I'm His servant. I live to serve Him, to put a smile on His face, to carry out His good and perfect will in my life and in the world around me. We recognize the sovereignty of the Lord. Years ago, I'm getting up there in age, years ago we had two little tools we used to share our faith. They were little pamphlets put out by Campus Crusade for Christ. One of them, many of you remember, it was legendary, the four spiritual laws. But there was a follow-up called Living the Spirit-Filled Life, and it had little illustrations about our lives and having God in control. It says, your life is like a kingdom. And there is a throne. And whoever is Lord in your life, whoever is in control, who's the authority, whose orders you march to, is the king of your life. Who's on the throne of your life? The first, the natural person, is you before you trusted Jesus as your Savior. See, your life as that little circle. Where's Jesus? Where's the cross? He's outside of your life. He's external to you. That person might be going to church, that natural person. They might have been born in a believing family, gone to church their whole life, but unless they've opened their heart to Jesus in faith as their Lord and Savior and trusted Him, He's on the outside. He still stands at the door and knock, and you've never opened the door. So who's on the throne? Yours on the throne. It's you. It's you, look, that's you, little person there. The captain of my own soul. Well, what's that mean? It's a wonderful poem, a good thought, but when you're the captain of your own soul, your ship's going down. You're on the wide road that leads to destruction. You need Jesus. You need a Savior who will be your Lord. Well, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you're that middle spot, the spiritual person. And where are you? You're now at the foot of the throne worshiping your King. Jesus is Lord. He's on the throne of your life. Big things and small. Everything you do in life, your choices, where you go to school, what you do for a living, who you marry, how you raise your kids... Everything is lived out in the light of what your king wants, what he desires for your life, his good and perfect will for you. He wants you to have a life abundant, a life of joy and peace. When you run into the hard things in life, you're on the throne. God has better plans for you. That is what we want. Lordship. That's the foundational building block built on salvation is putting Jesus on the throne of your life. He's your sovereign. He's your king. He's your Lord and master. But all too often, we let Jesus in and then we bump Him off the throne or we let Him keep the seat warm Sunday morning and then as soon as football comes on, boop, He's out the door and we're off to the races the rest of the week. That's the carnal life. That's a backslidden life. That's a life described in Corinthians and, and as in Scripture as a person who they build on the foundation, the precious foundation of Jesus with perishable things, wood, hay, and stubble. That when God judges your life, none of that will last. None of that had any eternal lasting value and it's burned up. But when Jesus is Lord... Everything you do, whether it be a cup of cold water given in Jesus' name out of love, will be celebrated in eternity. Who's Lord? Who's the Lord of our lives? Well, why is Jesus Lord? Well, it's because of what He has done for us. Not only does He have the power and freedom to be an authority in our lives, but He's exercised it in such a loving way. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 7. It says, and this describes the person with Jesus on the throne of their life For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. You're not an island. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Why do we belong to the Lord? Because, friends, Jesus paid for us. We're His possession. Don't take that wrong. It's not negative. That's positive. Why? Because in your sin, you were a slave to sin and death. Helpless. Eternally doomed. You couldn't choose the right because you're a slave to sin and death. But Jesus, on the cross, paid the price for your redemption. He redeemed you out of sin and death, adopting you into His very family. And now He is your King and Sovereign, your Heavenly Father, through Jesus' sacrifice. As it says, Speaking of the work of the Spirit in our lives, 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Get this, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Did you get that? When He is on the throne of our lives, the way we live in our physical bodies what we do and say and act we can honor god by it i've often quoted first corinthian i mean first peter rather chapter 1 speaking of that price that jesus paid to redeem you from sin and death but i often skip the verse just prior to that which shows the consequence of that back to first peter beginning a little earlier in verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. We're just passing through this world. The reverent fear is the awesome love of God. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that is putting Jesus on the throne. You're in the presence of your king who loved you and gave himself for you. Live your lives here in reverent fear, it says. That's putting God as Lord of your life. And it says, though, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The king gave himself for you. What life should you live to reflect that? This is the truth of lordship behind phrases like the Apostle Paul saying, I die daily. He died to himself daily. Every day during his devotional, Paul would get up and pray and he would Knock himself off the throne of his life and let Jesus be Lord. We have to do it every day, friends. Not just one day a week. Not just once in a while. Keep short accounts with God. Let the Lord be your Lord. It's a daily choice. Every day we need to ask this final question, Who will you serve? (laughs) Are you going (laughs) to go God's way? That narrow way? Are you going to take the broad way to destruction? My way. It's like the great old song, I did it my way. The song never tells you how that turns out, but it doesn't turn out good, let me promise you that. Who will you serve? Matthew chapter 7, this is lordship, putting it into practice. And so, first that often confuses or even scares people because Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those, only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Some people say, is that salvation by works rather than faith? The Lord, Lord? No, that's what we started at. That's two ways of using Lord. One is using it just as a a title. Lord, Lord, that's a religious person may have grown up in the church, thinks Lord is just Jesus' first name and doesn't give Him two thoughts normally. He's external to them. But the one who He lives in their heart, who He's their sovereign, their Lord in practice, they do the will of their Father in heaven. Jesus is asking, Am I Lord of your heart or just a word on your lips? This is the reality of lordship here. And the other verse we want to look at is an example of that. This example is money. But you can just as well put your name there. Because if you're a lover of money, you're really a lover of self. All that money can do for you. What did Jesus say? Look at this lordship thought. Jesus says in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve God and self. One Lord, only one. Who's it going to be? Who's going to be today? Tomorrow? Every day, friends. We have a choice. When I was a boy, my dad had a plaque up in our house that quoted Joshua's farewell speech to the children of Israel. It's a fascinating speech. He tells them of God's goodness, all that God did to save them. But then he ends with an interesting verse. He, he says, but if serving the Lord doesn't seem good to you, pick an idol doesn't matter you can go to hell worshiping any of those but as for me in my house and that was on our plaque and maybe you have something similar in your house but this verse reminds us every day you choose whether the lord will be your lord indeed joshua told the people but if serving the lord seems undesirable to you And choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, that's the gods of Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He's going to be Lord to us, not just in name, my sovereign, my authority, my guide, and my friend. Because friends, that's the amazing thing. Jesus says, you call me Lord and that's, that's proper for that's who I am. But I also call you friends because a master doesn't share his plans with his servants. And as we've seen today, you have been authorized by the King of Kings to be agents of change, heralds of salvation, missionaries to your area of this hurting world. Because Jesus is Lord, your Lord. Choose that today. Let that be a building block as you are careful to build wisely upon the foundation of faith in jesus in your life i just pray that this isn't too much for us that we could take a note or god plants a seed from this and that we grow in the grace of being followers of our master and that jesus becomes lord in more than a name to us let's pray about it heavenly father we thank you for jesus who you made Lord and Christ for a hurting world. Father, Jesus, as the living Son of God, has all authority. All authority on heaven and earth is given to Him by you. And Father, He confers part of that to us as He gives us His mission. And it's a commission to go and take the love of Jesus to a hurting world. To tell the truth in a society addicted to lies. Father, to let your light shine in darkness. Father, this is not only a challenge that we need to grow in, a grace that we must grow, and we ask you to grow us in this grace of having Jesus as Lord day by day. But Lord, it's not popular. This world serves self or Satan. And we serve the King of Kings. So Lord, as these kingdoms come into conflict, give your children strength and hope, assurance and courage as we're filled with your Spirit. Send us from this place today of worship and learning from your Word to our places of ministry that we can have an impact for the Kingdom of God as you desire. We thank you for being our Lord We pray it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you and keep you. The sun's to glow. can my not give